Living Corporate is brought to you by Canaries. Let me tell you about Canaries. Canaries is a tech company formed in 2018 by black founders who experienced inequities in the corporate world like most of us in the workplace. They saw typical diversity initiatives, but knew that to create systemic change, diversity, equity, and inclusion needed to be done differently. They're still ahead of the curve, focusing on the E and the I using a data-driven approach. Think Canary in the Coal Mine. The name is a nod to the canaries coal miners used to bring into mines to determine if the work environment was safe or undesirable. That's what they do for companies. They help you find the folks you need to listen to, the canaries, who will help you diagnose, measure, and attack your DEI challenges. Canaries has your back. Check them out at www.canaries.com backslash employer. That's www.kanarys.com backslash employer. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. Yo, uh, I can't help but just look at the news, man. It's like, you know, it seems like we continue to have the same conversations around diversity, equity, inclusion. And we're in this cycle of having to prove the value of treating everyone as if they have value as human beings, right? Like treating folks inherently worthy of our time and effort seems to be an ongoing cyclical conversation. And there also seems to be this cognitive dissonance, willful obtuseness, um, or just downright stupidity when it comes to recognizing the complexity and fullness of the human experience. And that you have to be willing to embrace the fact that humans by nature are multidimensional and that user experience, employee experience, candidate experience, these are things that need to be um, engaged and very nuanced and uh, systems think in nuanced and systems based approaches. Right. And so, you know, when you talk about all this stuff around diversity and inclusion and around equity, employee equity and belonging, oftentimes we talk about recruitment. We talk about representation and then we talk about uh, mentorship. But the reality is, y'all. If you're not creating cultures and environments that uh, are welcoming to marginalized employees, it doesn't really matter how dynamic or exciting your recruitment strategy is, which, frankly, it, it rarely ever is very exciting. Right. Like, but what I'm saying is, like, you know, you see organizations out there like, oh, we're about to hire X amount of HBCU students. So we're going to expand our reach into HBCUs or uh, we're going to do this. and We're going to do that. Those same organizations don't have an answer when you ask them how they're actually handling the cultures within their own organizations that accelerate the exit of those same individuals at a higher rate, a much higher rate than their white counterparts. Right. So with that being said, I'm really excited about our guest today. This is actually an older episode um, that I was able to have with uh, Kelly Mason. Kelly and I connected, uh, shoot, some months ago, like several months ago before the pandemic. Um, she's a partner at Notely, all about, you know, social impact, inclusion, equity, diversity, belonging, candidate experience. And so we're talking about 
you know, not only her journey as a, as a DEI executive, but also the work that she's now been leading at Notely for well over a year. And so um, before we get to that conversation, though, we're going to tap in with Tristan. What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan, and I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. Today, let's discuss your LinkedIn profile photo. I've worked with tons of clients who've come to me and didn't have a profile photo up on LinkedIn. They either didn't want to show their face or thought they had to get a professional photographer. But according to LinkedIn, profiles with photos get 21 times more profile views and 36 times more messages, so it's essential to have one up. You don't have to get a professional to take your headshot. This is something you can do at home. Let's discuss two different ways you can get a great headshot. First, get dressed professionally, whatever that looks like and means to you. Then, I suggest you grab a partner or friend to have them take the photo for you. Go outside in front of some foliage or buildings as they can provide a nice backdrop. Ensure the lighting is hitting your face properly, then have your partner or friend take the picture on your smartphone using portrait mode. This mode blurs the background, but since you're outside in front of foliage or buildings, it'll give your background a nice texture and help your photo stand out. The second option is to stand in front of a window with good lighting and take a picture of yourself if you don't have someone to take a photo for you. Extra points if you can prop the phone up on something and set a timer so it doesn't look like you're taking a selfie. Then go to the website remove.bg and upload your picture. There, you can remove the background or even add a custom one. Both of these methods will leave you with a great picture to use as your profile photo on the platform. Just don't forget to smile to make your picture feel inviting. Thanks for tapping in with me today. Don't forget, I'm now taking submissions from you all on career questions, issues, concerns, or advice you think may help others. So make sure to submit yours at bit.ly forward slash tap in Tristan. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Living Corporate is brought to you by the Liberated Love Notes Podcast, part of the Living Corporate Network. The Liberated Love Notes Podcast is a starting point for integrating self and community affirmations into your daily practices. The Liberated Love Notes podcast center the experience of black folks existing in white systems and speaks to overcoming imposter syndrome, disrupting injected and internalized forms of oppression, embodying an abundance mindset, and building a healthy racial identity. Check out Liberated Love Notes podcast wherever you listen to podcasts hosted by Brittany Janae Harris. What's up, Kelly? Nice to be on your podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You know what? No, I'm just really excited that you're here. Um, so look, let's talk a little bit about your journey. Okay. So, you know, in my, in my bio, in, in the bio that I read of you, you've held a variety of different roles in DEI, right? Like you've been, you've done a variety of different things. Um, it's interesting because I think when, as I look across and I think about, particularly when I think about black women, like operating in these spaces, it's like, I often either see like in, with diversity equity, and inclusion, either they'll be like in one place for a really long time. So like those individuals come to mind are like Janet Pope with Capgemini. Like she's been with Capgemini and that's really been her. She's been in that place and she's been doing diversity and equity inclusion work like her whole career. That, that's where she's been. 
Um, but then I think about other folks. Um, I think about like, I think about other individuals and it's like, they kind of, it's almost like they move like every couple of years. Like they're, it's like a new, like a new adventure. Um, but, and I, I feel like the latter is more common than the former. Like, do you see that? Like, and if not, like, I mean, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, my first thought is this is hard work, right? Burnout is super high among DEI practitioners. Um, I, I have tons of friends doing this work, you know, personal friends, people I'm connected with on LinkedIn. Um, and I know this is hard work. There's a lot of people getting burned out, you know, the kind of analogy, like banging your head against a wall, right? Um, because if you're putting yourself out there and you're working overtime to try and solve this problem and build more inclusive hiring and employment practices, you're doing it because you care, because you care deeply and you want to see the change, right? Um, it's not like other roles where you can clock in and out and collect your paycheck and go on about your life. Uh, when you care so much about this work, it becomes your life. Um, and you mentioned black women. I mean, I think this is especially true for marginalized people who are doing the work. Um, because, you know, in my experience as a black woman, it can be hard sometimes to separate professional rejection. So let's say, you know, you're introducing this new initiative to your boss and it's only going to cost $2,000 a year. Um, and they're telling you, no, we're not going to invest in that right now or we don't see the ROI. Um, you're having that professional rejection but then you're also having this personal rejection, right? Like, do they not see the value of bringing more people who look like me to the table? Um, so I think that's why this work is so, um, it's ripe for burnout, it's ripe for turnover and churn um, and people just needing to take a break. Um, so if you look at my background um, and my experiences, I've been in a few different roles from corporate attorney to head of people operations at some startups. Um, only twice, I think, have I officially been in a DNI role. Um, and even with this current role, you know, as I was in the interview process, I was like, do I really want to get back into this work? Um, I love and I care and I'm so passionate about it. But with that passion comes stress and anxiety and frustration. Um, and like I said, all of these things that that if you are a marginalized person doing this work, trying to get people to value what you have to bring to the table it is hard to separate it um personally and professionally so i can't speak for everyone who who does that but i think um, a lot of people in their work whether dni is in their title or not if if they're doing this work and they're caring about it so passionately um and they are representatives of that group of a marginalized group um it's just it's easy to get burnt out it's easy to just say i'm done you know no absolutely i think it's 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 really understated. And there's been some articles that have been coming out lately. I mean, I've mm -hmm. seen that, like, you know, I've seen even like uh, Janice, Gass Dr. Janice Gasson with Forbes. What's up? Um, she's been highlighting this. Uh, Jennifer Brown has shared some articles as well. Like there's folks, um, Katrina Jones with Amazon. Like she, like there are folks out there, like I'm not trying to shout out every single person, but there's plenty of folks out there that are highlighting the reality of these challenges. I still think that it's severely understated. Um, the, yeah. the, the emotional labor that goes into this. And then like, like frankly like just the the labor of having to like even like leave and then start somewhere else new like continuing the work is like oh like so draining um and yet it's critical because like as much as like as much as that labor is like it it hurts like it's so rewarding when you're able to get some things through right because you're helping folks who look like you um multiple years down the road right like 
I think like that's the that's the ultimate goal. Like, I'd really like to talk about uh, Notely and and just what your role is here. I'm in this new space and just what your major priorities are over the next, I'm going to say two years. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so first, I guess I'll give background on Notly at a high level. Um, our kind of tagline is we are an engine for social good, providing capital and connections for the social impact community. Um, so what does that mean? Uh, we've got our hands in a lot of different things. Uh, we have our founders and our partners are just super invested in um, investing in social impact. So we've provided strategic investments philanthropically in nonprofits here in Austin in particular, um, also more traditional venture investing, venture investing into for-profit companies with social impacts. Um, so Civitech is one example. It's uh, a tool that helps campaigns um, operate more efficiently and particularly, you know, with an eye at helping progressive campaigns. Um, but it's a for-profit company. Okay. So we've got that. We've got real estate um, investing. So if you come to Austin, we've got the Center for Social Innovation where I don't know exactly how many acres of land we have, but we've got um, about 14 buildings. 60% of the tenants are either nonprofits or certified B Corps doing social impact work. Um, so there, you know, it's a range from philanthropy and nonprofits to real estate investing, to traditional venture capital investing. And then another thing we do is have our own initiatives um, to make ecosystem level social impact. And my role in particular is to lead the initiative charged with helping companies build more inclusive hiring and employment practices. Um, so over the next few months, I'm really just learning, figuring out where we can make the most impact, um, how we can collaborate, where we can uh, deploy resources and in the next two years, I mean, you know, this is a startup. It's a it's a <laughs> nonprofit type thing, but it's a startup just like any other. Who knows where we'll be in two years? Um, but my goal is to launch something that can uh, can more systemically change the way things are done in companies, so that you're having more inclusive hiring, more inclusive promotions, inclusive employee experiences. That's what's up. Um, yeah, you know, I. And first of all, you know, I appreciate you extending grace to me, but, you know, you could have you could have, you know, told me to stop because uh, I was just saying your whole company wrong. I'm over here saying notely. You know? I know. And then you said then you said notly and I'm over here like just embarrassed. Um, but OK, that's fine. So um, so let's let's continue to go through a little bit about um, and we talked a little bit offline, right, about like one of the some lower hanging fruit is that I know every organization that they're trying to tackle in some degree, shape or form is uh, recruiting. Um, and so mm -hmm. can we talk about recruiting um, in an increasingly diverse work pool, right? Like, so you think about, you think about the fact that it's 2020 um, Gen Z is looking like just very unique. And I know we say this every time a new generation comes on the scene, but this, I mean, at this time, um, what does it look like to really create an inclusive, an equitable candidate experience and can like can you walk me through what that means end to end yeah for sure um so yeah so we chatted about it i mean that's an area i'm super interested in i've done a ton of research on it professionally because it's been part of my role um leading people operations and then also here at motley and personally because i really i nerd out about what are what has research shown is going to work um, there's a lot of things in this space that feel really good and feel warm and fuzzy, but aren't actually moving the needle um, and are leading companies to waste 
literally billions of dollars on initiatives that are not working um, because they're not really putting uh, the same data lens to it that they put to other things. Um, so, so I like to think of recruiting very similarly to marketing, and you've got this funnel. Um, so first off, at the very top of the funnel, people need to know that your company exists and they need to know that it's hiring. So if you're Google or Facebook or Amazon, that's really easy. If you're Notly or New Knowledge or some of these smaller startups, um, that's hard. So what are you doing to get attention of people who aren't already in your immediate network? Um, with the realization that, you know, because of the way companies are funded and started, uh, you've got a disproportionate amount of VC funding going to white men. And so when they're hiring their first five employees, it's people who are in their personal networks. Uh, when they're referring the next 20 employees, it's people in their networks. And you very quickly see how the starting founding team's homogeneity replicates itself in startups. Um, and then, of course, startups turn into Google. I think I read something that Google uh, would have to fill every single role for the next three years with a person of color to be representative of the, the American population. Goodness gracious. Um, yeah, which, which just isn't going to happen. Like, they're just too far gone. Um, but you, but that, that's what happens. Um, so it starts with recruiting. It starts with who's, who knows about your jobs. Um, okay, and then we've got that. So let's say you've reached 100 prospective candidates. That's the top of the funnel. Um, at that stage, you look at, you know, where are you promoting your roles? Are you going to HBCUs? That's kind of low-hanging fruit. Um, are you, you know, being in the places, having the communications with the different organizations in your city um, or your region who have pools of mid-level talent or executive talent from underrepresented backgrounds? Um, what are you doing to get your roles in front of these people? Um, and then the next step is they need to want to apply. So this is where you see things like um, gender decoders. They'll flag for whether a job description is phrased in a way that might subconsciously deter certain people from applying. Um, and so what is on your, you know, what's the language in your job description? If I open up your careers page and it's, you know, a bunch of young white guys playing beer pong is the picture. Right. Um, is that something that I, where I'm going to want to apply? So I've heard about your job, but then I look at your branding and I think maybe this isn't the place for me. Um, so that's the next stage where you can create something more inclusive. Um, you can talk about the benefits you offer that are inclusive of people with families, um, that are inclusive of, you know, new parents, um, whatever it might be. So versus talking about, oh, like free kombucha on tap, which is something that I'm guilty of doing. Uh, and then how it start up. There's really kombucha on tap? There is kombucha on tap. My and goodness. certain startups, <laughs> if it appeals to you, and I would not blame you, uh, there are companies wow. out there doing that and promoting that and investing in that. Investing, um, man. But your insides are probably like really good. I mean, like your like the the uh, what are those the um those um those back the live bacteria. I bet your digestion would be great. Yeah. But my goodness, though, what flavors? It's productivity after a glass of conversion. Oh my <laughs> gosh, yes. Mm. Um, okay. So yeah, so you're thinking about, are you creating an inclusive employer brand where people, once they hear about your job, are going to want to apply? That's the next stage. Um, okay, and then once they've applied, is there any bias in your screening process? The answer is yes, of course there is. We all have bias. Um, and that's kind of one stage where I'm running up against challenges because I really do want to help companies 
uh, create more inclusive screening processes. Right. But it's hard to do that when they don't recognize or admit that they have a problem. Right. So before I can say, let me give you a tool that is going to remove your bias, they have to say, I have bias. Right. And, um, and it's, I think, and I think it's that part right there. Right. Is <laughs> like when we talk about, when we talk about a lot of this work uh, and, and even with something like recruiting, it's like, because like these spaces aren't like because the folks in the because the folks who are in charge like they really i think it's fair to say that they are going to set the pace for what inclusivity and equity looks like right like if if the folks like you're trying to help can't even say hey look the way that i'm handling this is wrong like i have some i have some biases i have some conscious i have some unconscious biases and i have some conscious biases that are blocking my ability Stymieing my ability to really bring in a more more candidate, like a more diverse candidate pool, um, and it's also or or it's having it where if there's a black or brown person, I'm bringing them in at a level or, or two below this white candidate, and even though they're the same on paper, like that's how, that's just challenging. Like how like what are you what what are you thinking of? Yeah. How, how are you thinking about navigating past that? Like because it just seems as if. And I think like the next level of work, and I've talked about this like with other folks on the pod, right? Like we've had, um, we've had Pamela Fuller with um, Franklin Covey. We've had like Michelle Kim with uh, Awaken, right? Like we've had other folks on talking about just what does it look like to start pushing back against some of the fragility, because like eventually you're gonna we're gonna have to have some frank conversations that you're not gonna like, but we have to have them so that you can actually make some progress. Yeah. I mean, if you have an answer, let me know. <laughs> um, I, I truly think that's one of the hardest parts is getting people to accept that there is a problem. Everyone wants to say, I just don't have enough black and brown people applying. Uh, can you help me get more of them to apply? Right? Because it's, it's their problem. They haven't applied to my job. Um, <laughs> but actually, my former consulting firm, uh, Paradigm, my co-founder did a study and she looked at some of their clients who said this exact thing, right? We need to diversify our candidate pool. We need more diverse people to apply. Well, she looked at it and proved looking at the data, and luckily these companies were willing to share the data, that their actual applicant pool was a lot more diverse than their employee pool, than who was getting hired. So you can tell that it's somewhere along this funnel and it's not the top of the funnel. Um, so, I mean, that, I mean, that's my challenge, right? And you said you've talked about it with a few different people. I haven't seen a good solution for getting people to quickly grasp that biases are coming into play in their hiring process. Everyone wants to say like, oh yeah, I'm sure other companies do that, but we don't do it. Um, one thing that is a much heavier lift, but that has been successful here in Austin, and it's available in different cities, is this um, this two-day training called Beyond Diversity Courageous Conversation. I've heard about this, yeah. And awesome. I mean, in my experience, this is changing people's lives. And I mean, people with privilege are recognizing their privilege, and they're getting activated to say, how can I use my privilege to make a difference? Um, one of our founders, actually, I think all four of our founders um, have been through the program. They're encouraging all of the employees to go through the program. There's a lot of people in the Austin community who are getting um, 
getting their friends on board, right? Getting their fellow straight white men CEOs to to take this training and white really women in charge also. Sure, I mean anyone anyone who's in charge. Yeah. Uh, but of course, we we tend to see that who's in charge. Um, <laughs> like getting people to take this training but again that's a heavier lift that's a two-day commitment um and it works but you know that's one of the nuts i'm trying to crack is how do you get that same behavior change without asking someone to commit two days of work um to do it yeah i mean i i think part of it i'm just i'm also curious about just what does it look like to have so when you talk about like inclusion right like another way something else to consider is what does it look like to have some black and brown or just marginalized representation in a leadership or authority making authority uh, authority position in your company over that space? So they actually have an equal say and ability to say, hey, we need to do this, too. You don't see it. You may not agree. But just by nature, of you putting me in this position, you're going to trust me to let me just go ahead and like do this. That way I can preserve your feelings. But we can also actually make we can also make some progress in terms of like how things need to change. Like maybe because I think a lot of times when you think like a lot of times when you're seeing like these spaces, it's like, it's like a, like a black woman or a, or some, some person of color, some black or brown person essentially going up to like majority white leadership and being like, Hey, you have this problem. And then majority white leadership goes, uh, I don't no, We don't really have a problem. And then you're like, but you do. And they're like, no, we don't. And then you kind of walk away with your head down but like what would could really help is you just say, hey, look, majority white leadership, why don't you just hire this, these couple of people over here and just I'll just give trust them enough to help shape the strategy. And they have genuinely equal like they have equity in decision making. So they have power to actually make a decision. And then that way you can say, hey, we do this other thing that I don't understand. But Jamal says it works. So we're going to do it. Like, I, I wonder if that's maybe like a path, if like maybe it's something about being more inclusive in your um, leadership team that way yeah. you, ha you have points of insight and input that you can just defer to even if you don't immediately understand for sure and that's the goal um but it's also the long game right it's building that trust it's building that ability for someone to say as a leader i don't get it but i trust you and moreover and this also happens with um a lot of companies that set aside titles and headcount for someone whose full-time job is diversity and inclusion, do they then have the budget? So it's the trust that, you know, I trust you to run with this and to um, bring best practices to our company, but, and that's the first step, and it's a hard step to get to, but then the second step is, and here's, you know, a $20,000 budget each year or a $100,000 budget, or I don't know, you know, depending on the company size, um, here's a budget to actually get the tools that you need so look it's um again i've said it before it's 2020 right it's 2020 you got these gen z folks they coming in like and i think about i think about my siblings i have a little sister she is turning she's looking turn, i think she's turning 20 yeah she thinks she's turning 20 this year then i have another little sister and she's like 19 um, then I have a brother, I have a couple brothers, um, and they're like kids, like one's 14, the other one's, uh, one's 15, the other one's 16. So I think about them and I think about like the way they move is just unique. And I, and it, it scares me honestly that in like a handful of years, they're going to be in the workforce, right? Like, um, and like, and my siblings are 
I mean, they are very unique, right? Like from just a creativity perspective, how they how they identify on the spectrum, how they like they're just very unique individuals. Um, and I think really they they do represent um, the most diverse um, and like openly gender fluid like mm-hmm. group that we've we're ever gonna see. And so, like, what ways do you anticipate organizations will need to continue to create? Um, equitable and inclusive workplaces to accommodate for or to adjust and and proactively adjust for this group of people? Yeah, I mean, everything you're saying, the research is backing it up, studies of, you know, across generations, it is, the change is happening quickly. I mean, if you think about marriage um, between men and men has just been legalized in our lifetime to women and women has just been legalized in our lifetime that for that to even be a conversation i think the next generation is going to be like why are we calling people men why are we calling people women right like it's going to go so much further the conversation is changing so quickly um that that i don't know how companies are going to catch up um i think (laughs) that you see you know, a lot of, I think we'll, we'll get, um, let me think a lot of, you mentioned job hopping and kind of moving from not staying at one place that has gone right. Our parents and our parents' parents stayed at one company their entire career. Uh, Gen Z additionally has no problem leaving after two months, throwing up the deuces. I'm done. I'm going we'll, somewhere else. We'll le- like, we'll, but we'll like, we'll leave, we'll leave quickly. We'll yeah. leave quick, quick. And, and it's just, Cause you know, there was a time like, so in millennials, there's this thing like, we're like, look, we'll leave, you know, eight, you know, like, look, every 18 to 24 months. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. You know, I, I'll, I'll give it a year. I'll give it, I'll give mm-hmm. it two years. Gen Z will, it, it just seems like they're like, no, I will quickly leave like right now and then turn around and be like, I hate to say it. I hope I don't sound ridiculous. I don't know who this man is. I mean, he could be walking down the street. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know a thing. Sorry to this man just like like will be unrecognizable i don't even know what this job what what job oh no i was just freelance and like they'll just completely shift the game and yeah. i just and i i wonder i just even wonder like when you think about like the costs like the the cost that organizations you know it costs to let for people to leave right like even to fire people like it's always cheaper to keep them always mm-hmm. um save like crazy situations but you know what i mean like it's typically yeah. cheaper to, so it's just like man like are are we really ready for folks who will if you don't recognize my, if you don't, if I don't feel like you respect me, if I don't feel as if this organization is moving in a way that aligns with my values, not, 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 a, not an employee that's going to leave in six months, but an employee that'll leave in like six weeks. Like, are we ready for that? I think uh, a lot of companies are not ready, but I think the silver lining is that they will start to finally grasp the ROI when they um, are seeing the cost of churn, the cost of turnover. And Gen Z, uh, members of Gen Z being vocal about, I am not staying here because you might be talking the talk, but you're not walking the walk when it comes to providing an inclusive workplace. Um, and that starts hitting their bottom line, then I think they're going to start changing. Um, they're going to have to, right? And, and whether that's uh, putting more budget behind DNI, whether that is, you know, allowing flexible work and working from home or working from Thailand or wherever you want to be, um, we'll see these changes start to happen really quickly. Now, Kelly, now this has been a super dope conversation. 
Okay. We appreciate you. Thank you for uh, for being here. I, I I know that you work at Notley. Not Notley, y'all. I don't know where Notley. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not not notly y'all notly um and i can't even blame that on like me being country i just i just made a mistake y'all but look we all make mistakes that's why they put uh erasions on pencils Simon, so keep all this in uh this has been a dope conversation before we let you go any parting words or shout outs yeah i think um shout out to you for having these conversations and sharing this information getting it out there um, shout out to the people who are doing the work. Uh, it's hard work. Um, like I said, right, there's a lot of burnout. It's not easy. Um, we see you and we appreciate you. Oh, thank you. I feel so seen. I feel appreciated. And you know what? There's something about when a, when a black woman uh, speaks positively to a black man. I feel like an angel gets its wings every time. So just thank you. I'm going okay. to keep that. I'm going to hold that close to me. Um, and uh, my, when my days get when my days get dark and my, my times get low. Uh, anyway, look, y'all, this has been Zach with Living Corporate. Look, you know what we're doing. We're having these conversations. Um, you know, you can check us out on um, all of our Al Gore's Internet, right? You type in Living Corporate. You type in Living Corporate and Living Corporate stuff will pop up. OK, you don't even have to like type in a domain now. Right. We popping like that. SEO. Yeah. Is, right. I'm, I'm saying thank you, Kelly. SEO is popping out here. You know what I mean? Like we're we're really we're really 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 out there so um you make sure you check that on twitter at living corporate underscore pod on instagram at living corporate um and then look if you just have to go to a domain because you're old school you want to type in uh the exact website you know you do living dash corporate please say the dash dot com or you do living corporate.co living corporate.us living corporate.net dot org dot uh tv okay we got all the living corporates except for livingcorporate.com. So don't hit me up talking about Zach. I went to livingcorporate.com and it was a Australian uh, apartment leasing place. I know it is. We try, we try oh. to get. I'm saying right. Thank you, Kelly. But we're we're, we're getting there. Uh, in the meantime, make sure y'all check out all of the show notes on this episode. Make sure you hear about Notley. Okay, we're gonna have that in the show notes. We're gonna make sure we have uh, Kelly Mason's information. Y'all make sure y'all just check us out. Uh, and until next time, uh, we'll catch y'all. Peace. Living Corporate is brought to you by The Leadership Range, a podcast within the Living Corporate Network, hosted by globally certified and Fortune 500 executive coach and leadership development expert Neil Edwards. The Leadership Range is focused on having real, raw, soulful and accountable conversations about inclusive leadership, allyship, professional development. Every week is a new episode with new learning, and new actions to take on to grow inclusively. Make sure you check out the leadership range everywhere you listen to podcasts. And we're back. Look, I, I want to thank Kelly again. Uh, shout out to all the work that she's doing at Notely um, around, you know, again, diversity, equity, inclusion, workplace, organizational equity and justice. Very uh, leaning edge uh, thought leadership there. So make sure you click the sh- link in the show notes to learn more about Notely. And to learn more about Kelly Mason, she's doing incredible, incredible work. Before we go, I do want to talk to you all a bit about this concept of learning and training, right? I I just I want to get this off because it continues to be a narrative that black and brown people simply need to be educated. And if they were educated, there would be more equitable outcomes. And I have to tell y'all that that framing is racist. Okay. 
black and brown people don't have an education problem. They have an access problem. Right. We talk about equitable candidate experiences and we talk about equitable experiences at work. Defaulting to they need to be told what to do presumes that there's some underlying level of ignorance there. And it's also a form of white saviorism. The truth of the matter is, is that black and brown people, by merit of them being on the margins, have to actually have a higher degree of self-awareness and emotional intelligence than anybody else, because they're they recognize that they're one of the only's in any space. Right. They're constantly on guard because of this fact. So I want to challenge anyone who's thinking about, you know, in their programming and their planning. If you have some type of mentorship arm, that needs to be strongly paired with a sponsorship arm as well. Sponsorship is identifying who in the organization has the social and political and hierarchical capital to create opportunities for marginalized employees. If you're not asking those questions, then you're not actually solving a problem. In fact, you're creating new problems. Okay. So when you're having these conversations around creating senses of belonging, putting all the labor, just to recap, (laughs) putting the labor on the marginalized employee to make themselves belong is racist. If you're looking to create impact, even though this is harder, examine your own internal policies and procedures and identify where things need to change Because that's where you typically find inequity is in your actual policies and practices and procedures. And identify sponsors and then create a sponsorship tree where marginalized employees are paired with sponsors. The mentorship and the education can happen. That's fine. Like we're all learning. Lifelong learning is important. So I'm not knocking that. But we can look at American history and see that black and brown people have been extremely passionate about education, like as a community, since we want to speak about these groups as if they're like monolithic, right? That's where HBCUs came from. HBCUs were created because we were so passionate about being educated and learning that despite being pushed out and pushed away, threatened, beaten, and killed by predominantly white institutions, we still didn't give up and created our own institutions. Right. That's what black Americans did. So, again, it's about looking at systems, thinking critically and engaging critically and engaging systemically. Okay, Uh, I know it's a heavier word to end on, but it's on my mind because I continue to see this narrative of like education, this or mentorship that, you know, that's just that's not what we need. That isn't it's just not what we need. We need access. We need access. Uh, With that being said, hey, listen. People ask me all the time, like, what's the best way to support Living Corporate? I continue to say, yo, just tell people about Living Corporate, right? It's free, costs you nothing, doesn't take much time. Take the little share button on whatever platform you listen to and then text us to a few people, right? Just share this episode. The other way you can really help and support Living Corporate is by giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts, right? And let's say you want to be really fancy and actually give of yourself, Another way uh, you can support Living Corporate is by uh, donating to Living Corporate, right? So we actually have a support link in the show notes. Easy way. You want to subscribe, 
like do a recurring uh, gift. We welcome that. We appreciate that. It's because of your support that we're able to continue to continue to create incredible content. Uh, shout out to the whole team. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Brittany. So until next time, this has been Zach. Talk to you later. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.